Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Welcome back to When Autumn Comes. You guys are in for a treat today. I wish I could say that I edited this a long time ago and had it prepared to launch tomorrow, but I didn't. I am editing now at 7 p.m. and I am dropping this episode at 4 a.m. So, guys, you're in for a treat. I can say that as I am fresh off of the editing bandwagon or whatever kind of wagon it is. Today, you're going to meet Megan. She is not a mom of a disabled child. She is a sibling of a disabled, of many disabled children. She has three disabled siblings. It is a really refreshing conversation. And I forgot how great it was because we recorded this, I think, back in February. It's been a minute. But you are going to love Megan and everything she has to say. If you are a mom like Diane who has disabled children and typical children, I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So yeah, welcome Megan. Hey everybody, we are here with Megan. Hey Megan. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Megan is an awesome, awesome girl woman from Minnesota. Um, A girl woman? A girl woman. I feel like a girl, but technically by definition, I guess I am a woman. You're a woman. (laughs) You're a hardcore woman. Um, Megan, tell us a little bit about your family. Right. So I grew up in quite a diverse, rowdy family, I would say. So I've got four brothers and two sisters. Uh, two of my siblings were adopted from Greece and my mom actually had triplets. That was her like first pregnancy right out the gate were triplets. And they all were born with varying degrees of, um, cerebral palsy. And so quite a range of abilities right out the gate. And then my mom and my dad had two more because the more the Why merrier, not? you know, <laughs> you're going to have three kids, you know, that kind of needs some help. You got to got to have a few more to make the house a little bit more rowdy, you know, so. <laughs> awesome. And where do you fall in that line of siblings? Right. So I'm the second youngest. So my youngest brother right now, he is 21 and my oldest brother is 35. So I fall in at almost 23. I'll be turning 23 in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Awesome. And what did you, growing up, I mean, you this is your normal, right? Like you just were born into this family. These are your siblings. Um, Responsibility probably just came naturally without you knowing, but what was that like for you? I mean, I, let me add to, we're just really excited because this podcast has been interviewing moms and you are the first non-professional 
non-mom that we have right. had. So it's just offering us a really cool, different perspective. And like I told you before, Diane really just wants to be sure she's not screwing up her other kids. So absolutely. Um, I mean, whatever I don't you save say for college, today, I save for therapy. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, no, you're not screwing up your kids. You were doing just fine. Um, but yeah, it, it did come a lot more natural to me. I think for you moms, when you have a child with disabilities, you have a life before and a life after and is a very clear line of when that changes. And so with me, my life was always the sister who had a sister and two brothers with disabilities. That's just how it was defined. And at a younger age, I recognize that right away. I was, I'm very perceptive as an individual, but as a child, I was incredibly perceptive and I remember my mom always telling the story that I, I think I was like maybe like one, two, I don't know. I was super, super young and I would notice that my mom was feeding my sister Jennifer. And so I started grabbing my Cheerios and popping them into her mouth. And then I'd pop one into my mouth and then I'd pop one in my brother's mouth and pop one into my mouth. So I started just naturally stepping in and saying like, oh yeah, I can do that. You know, I can help out. She wants a Cheerio. I can have a Cheerio. And so that's just kind of like the beginning of my life with my sister specifically. My brothers I'm very close with as well, and we have a very similar relationship. But my sister and I really bonded on a deeper level for sure. And my life caring for her was something just very natural. It's something where I didn't have a sister that wasn't disabled and all of a sudden needed care. And there wasn't this stark difference and this change in my life. It was just, it's just my life. That's just how it was growing up. Do you feel like there were ups and downs. I'm kind of hopping around here, but ups and downs throughout your life that you felt, wow, this is such a privilege or wow, this is really hard. Right. Or yeah, or really, did you ever have moments of this is just not fair? Like my friends are doing things that we can't do or anything like that? Yeah. So I never necessarily felt that it wasn't fair. But I definitely did feel the weight of the responsibility, and I still do to this day uh, with my two brothers. And so uh, with Jenny kind of growing up, I would remember if I wanted to go out with friends, but she needed to go to bed, and I was responsible for that time. It's when she wanted to go to bed, I had to make sure she was tucked in, ready to go, and to sleep before I could leave and go out with my friends, you know. Or if she wanted to go to school with her hair curled and makeup done. No one else in my family does that. So I'd wake up at 5 a.m. to do her hair and do her makeup because she wanted it done. And so there were days where I did feel the weight of the responsibility quite a bit. Um, but there are also days where, you know, we would sing in the shower together and it was just the most like relaxing time of my day was just singing and having a good time in the shower together. So yeah, I was still caring for her. And yeah, sometimes the shower was a little bit of a struggle, but then there were days where I enjoyed putting her to bed. I enjoyed you were just sisters. Right. And so, and it was just at the end of the day, caring for her and we had so much fun and she was almost my therapy. So for me, where the days where it was even hard taking care of her, I still, you know, you still say like, oh my gosh, I love you. I love you, girl. Like you're good. You know? And so <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard. Yeah, for sure. And I think kind of building off of my peers, I think the hardest thing was my peers never understood. My peers never understood that type of, responsibility at such a young age throughout middle school, throughout high school, you know, saying like, no, I can't. My sister's got something going on this weekend and I got to go with her and I'm a chaperone or I'm her PCA um, or even just 
talking about sometimes the struggles in the morning and whatnot, people just say like, oh man, you're just such a great sister. And I'm like, you don't, you don't really get it though. And so it really was a wedge where I felt like I couldn't relate to other kids unless they had sibling disabilities and I could really kind of connect with them just because it just was something very foreign to them. Can you tell me you have, you have three siblings with cerebral palsy. Were they differ, differentiating, um, were your brothers less severe okay. than your sister? Um, because you've talked a lot about caring for her. Did you have to help with your brothers or were they more self-sufficient? So, yes. Yeah, so out of the triplets, um, there was a range. Uh, I would say that my sister had a little bit more of a severe case, if that's how you want to classify it. She was affected physically. So she used a wheelchair verbally. She couldn't enunciate as well. Chewing and eating food was sometimes a little tough. Not a lot of mobility with her hands, so she couldn't self-propel herself in a wheelchair. Um, but man, was she just absolutely like a firecracker. So she really made up for it for personality. She's just <laughs> not. And then my brother, uh, Patrick, would probably be the middle, I would say. So he can operate his wheelchair on his own. He uh, can use his hands and feed himself. He can speak very clearly. And so he would kind of be like, quote, the middle case, I would say. And then my brother uh, is often viewed by his peers as someone who's not disabled. He is uh, incredibly independent. Um, and it's just little finer details and movements that you can sometimes see, like how he ties his shoes. He just needs a little extra help and a little okay. extra second to tie his shoes and things. And so, yeah, you can't really tell with my other brother as much. And so, yeah, huge range of disabilities and abilities just within my three siblings, for sure. So okay. when I cared for my siblings, I more so cared for my sister, one, because she needed more care in general. And two, I'm just a little bit more of a believer in like my sister, then she's my responsibility. I think like as like female to female, especially when she got in those teenage years, you know, like my dad shouldn't be helping her. I should be helping her and my mom and my sister. And so I more so took care of her and my dad kind of took over the role of caring for my brothers just because of that gender dynamic, which mm -hmm. really worked well. So my sister was the main individual who I took care of and when she passed away, then I kind of started to move over to my brother, Patrick, kind of the more middle case as we started to take on Special Olympics and other projects like that. So so now Diane's question. So you had just said that your sister passed away. Mm -hmm. That was completely unexpected, correct? Incredibly unexpected. And it's still to this day is incredibly shocking sometimes for me to still say it. I still have that um, it's not real. There's just no way. How because long ago did she pass? She passed away in 2017 on Thanksgiving. Okay. So um, for her, with cerebral palsy, they have an average life expectancy. So the conversations I remember having with my mom at quite a young age, too, about taking on responsibility when my mom and my dad passed, that was the standard. The standard was my mom and my dad are going to pass away and somebody is going to have to pick up the pieces here. And I was just completely ready to do that. You know, I, I love my siblings, especially with Jen. We get along so well. I was completely comfortable taking on that responsibility. And so it never really necessarily was in discussion of what if she passes away or what if my siblings pass away before my parents. That never really was a conversation. So it was incredibly sudden. And it still to this day is is quite hard for a lot of her friends and a lot of other individuals within our community just trying to understand kind of what happened because 
just a little background as well. She grew up going to school and her graduating class was the, I would say, quote, for lack of a better term, sickest uh, grade. So she had three or four individuals in her classroom who were terminal, who will pass away from their disability, who were in hospitals often, you know, struggling with pneumonia or other um, type of flus and things each year. And so it was kind of it was kind of tough for her because she'd almost be gearing up like, okay, they're in the hospital. They're not really doing well. This might be it. You know, this might be it, but it never was it. They've, they're all still here. They're all, they're all still alive. And so when my sister passed away and making those calls to those moms and those individuals with disabilities, it was a huge shock because no, it wasn't even on anybody's radar that this could possibly happen. So it really did shake up the community quite a bit too. Did she get sick or was it just completely unexpected? So she did get sick. Um, just kind of a little bit of just background, I guess, on it. Um, in August of 2017, Jenny started to complain a little bit about having some anxiety. And my sister was very, very forward about what she felt, how she thought, you know, what she was thinking about. And so this was a conversation that she had multiple times. I mean, it would be when I'm doing her hair, you know, and just like morning routine, she goes, I have anxiety. Like I'm just, I'm nervous. And it started to change into, she would tell me that she's leaving and which is really strange. She would say like, Oh, I'm going to Africa or I'm going to France. I'm going to Texas. And then sometimes she's like, I don't really know where I'm going, but I'm leaving, which was very odd for her. My sister was very mentally um, typical and so for her to say something like that would, would be very strange. And so my mom and her got together and had a deep conversation about where she was feeling with her anxiety and other things. And then my sister really wasn't on any medications. So it was a little bit of a hesitation to put her on something, but they ended up going to the pediatrician and she was put on a low, low, low dose of Prozac. And she took a half dose of that for, I think, three days. After that point, she, about a week or so later, was in the hospital, kind of in a catatonic state, not communicating well, not really making eye contact, sweating a lot, not breathing well, you know, moving kind of strange, kind of screaming randomly, very, very unlike her. And so when we were at the hospital for a few days. They had done pretty much all the tests in the book that they do with a case coming in and they don't know what's going on. So all the scans, all the testings, everything. And about three days later, they came back and just basically said she has um, strep throat. We can give her, you know, some sort of antibiotic for it. But it's Thanksgiving. You guys can go home if you want. We just don't know what else to do. And at that point, my sister's in med school. She's, you know, she's incredibly intelligent. And my mom was a nurse. And so I'm like, we're Jenny professionals. You know, I think that every parent with a child with disabilities has gone through it where they go to a hospital or they go to get care and they're not necessarily receiving adequate care for their child. And I felt as though her physical disability, they almost felt like reflected where her mental state was. And I was trying to say, no, this is very uncommon for her. She doesn't randomly scream. She doesn't randomly not have conversations with me. She's not singing the songs that I'm playing for her, getting her up. You know, these are very atypical behaviors. But yet, if you look at her disability and how physically involved she was, it almost kind of matches that mental state. Mm -hmm. And so I think they just kind of wrote it off of like, oh, yeah, everyone says that a child with disabilities has like a personality and is just different. You know, I think they just kind of dismissed it a little bit. And so... I just thought, you know, we're Jenny professionals at the end of the day. 
we are educated in health in this household. We can take care of her probably better than the care that she's receiving here. So I was the only one at the hospital at the time I spent the night with her. And so I made the decision to discharge her and we ended up coming home where we did have a little bit of a Thanksgiving. I was up for about 24 hours with her. So I was asleep. And so by the time I woke up, she was heading to bed. And later that night, about a half hour later, we found her unresponsive. And so that was very, very shocking. And, you know, at one point, doctors and everyone stopped admis- like administering CPR. And so that was kind of then the wrap, which I think was the hardest thing for me to watch because they all just kind of left all at once. Um, and so it's, it's a really tough, it was really tough. Um, and I've had this conversation with Diane here as well about what was worse, having it be so sudden and unexpected and not seeing it come or having a child who does almost have an expiration date and just waiting for that day to come. And I definitely wouldn't wish this upon anybody. It was absolutely terrifying and scary and you know, it definitely is traumatic and will stay with me. And so it was very tough on my family and on the community for sure. I want to say as a parent, looking at you as a sister, I watch Nora just envelope Sayla in love. She, they, it's almost as if they're connected. I mean, physically connected somehow, some way. And I know you're a spiritual woman and there is this beautiful connection I will never understand. And I don't know if you as siblings get enough credit or maybe not even just like people don't understand the relationship that you carry with these special kids. And I find it fascinating that you are born into this and only you carry this perspective of what it is like to care for a child your entire life that is different. I I don't even know what that's like. And so listening to you talk, I mean, it's I know the heartbreak that I feel and I can see the heartbreak that Susan feels going through this. But to then go through that yourself and not where do you sit in this order of caring for somebody with special needs and having that relationship, like where are your connections? Where do you, how do you grieve through that without anybody maybe understanding what it's like, you know? Right. Yeah, it is. It's very tough. I remember I had never gone to therapy before this point. I always considered myself a really happy go lucky kid. And right after she passed away, about three months later, I bit the bullet and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go in. I'm going to go in. I'm going to give it a shot. And I remember going through the pre-interviews with a woman and kind of feeling a little cold shoulder kind of that like from her. And I remember um, I finally got connected to somebody and I just laid it out and I said, you are not just treating grief of like a sister. You're treating grief of a best friend, a PCA, a sister, and a mom at the end of the day. Like I took care of her like she was my own child. I don't know how to manage that. I played so many roles in her life and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it in for absolutely anything in this world, but I have absolutely no idea because I'm grieving all of these different things. My routine was off. I would wake up and not have someone to to get up in the morning. Like I would not care for her. I would not dress her each morning. I would not put her to bed. My shower times, you know, I would be listening to those songs by myself in the shower. And 
that routine is not a sister grieving. That's a mother grieving, you know, but then also Mm -hmm. those sister bonds of, yeah, I'm not watching the same TV shows or listening to the same songs anymore. You know, I'm not messing around and asking her for a foot rub and like sticking my nasty feet in her face. You know, I'm like, I don't have those things going on, but then I also don't have the, you know, we competed in sports for special Olympics together. So I'm like, okay, it's like, that's my unified partner. That's my friend. You know, that's my buddy. That's how we do things. And so it is a very unique and special role. And I found that my first therapist was not prepared for that. She had, she, you could just see, she was like, Oh gosh, this is a lot of stuff. I I don't really know how to help you. Um, and so, and it, it is, it's a special bond. And I remember even after my sister passing away, the first anniversary of her passing, my family, we put together these boxes of just goodies and like baked goods and all this stuff. And we wanted to give it to people who made my sister's life more joy- joyful. My sister was very, very joyful. That's kind of the word that we use in our household. And so I remember dropping off a basket. It was my last basket. I made it through the whole day without crying. It was totally great. And I step inside and I put the basket down on their kitchen counter. They invite me in and I see this individual with disabilities who is my sister's friend and his older brother, who is typical, the older brother came running down the stairs and tackled him on the couch. And I looked at that whole entire interaction. I was like, I am beyond grieving the loss of my sister right now more than I have the entire day because you get to do that with your sibling. And that is a blessing and hold on to it and tackle him every day, you know? And that was when something kind of hit me where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't get to have that joking, youthful play in my household anymore. Now that my sister's gone. And so it is a very unique position. I knew right when I looked at him that he, he recognized this is a sibling thing here. We both knew it because he mm-hmm. kind of noticed right afterwards. I was like, uh, uh kind of crying, a little bit of a mess. Um, and yeah, it is, it is such a blessing. It's such a unique role. And it is something where it's really hard to relate to people and connect with people about it unless they've gone through it. It's something that is so hard to describe. It's like kind of what you were saying, Diane, about it being this bond that's like almost spiritual. You know, my mom and my dad struggled for 12 years of infertility, had triplets. And then like a month and a half later, they were pregnant with me. Like very shocking. They did not think they could have another child. Um, and so my mom had always said, that was God doing his work. Like he knew that my, that Jenny needed somebody else that was going to just take her, her life and just elevate it. But in real life, in reality, totally misconception, like a huge misconception because my life was almost elevated because of her too. And I would say even more so. I think that's the other thing too. People like look at it from the outside and they're like, Oh, you're, you're such a blessing. You know, you're sent by God and like all this stuff. Like, no, my life was made was made because of my sister, like hands down my life, like the greatest blessing in my life was my sister. And she gave more to me than I think I really did give to her. And I bet you guys experienced that as well as parents on those days too. On those days, we were not like, oh my gosh, I just want to like (laughs) go pour a glass of wine. You know, Um, there are those days where you look and you're like, man, you are giving me such perspective and such insight and such growth and weight in my life. And you have no idea because you were a child and you have no idea. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of that thing as well, for sure. So can we speak to just you being so immersed in the special needs community and having friends that also have siblings? Is that true across the board? 
I mean, are you one of the special ones or, so I have, you know, the, my two kids and definitely Nora is much, I mean, Caleb loves Sayla, but he's also a boy um, where he's like, I got to go play my video games and talk to my buddies. But I wonder, I often wonder, is it a personality trait? Is it, how close are you to your siblings? Are you a unicorn is what she's asking. Yeah. (laughs) No, um, I don't think I'm a unicorn. Um, I think it is completely understandable where Caleb, you know, has his moments. My brother did the same thing. My youngest brother, he had his things and they were different than what my siblings disabilities did. I would say, and I've said this to other people who I've met, I really do believe that a lot of people in this world, if they were put in the same family, in the same shoes as I am, that they would probably do the same thing, if not incredibly close. It's it's just something about this community that is irresistible when you are truly a part of it. And I found myself before and now currently I fit in better with the disabled community. I just do. They're my people. They're my people. I was like just talking about this with my mom because I've been applying to jobs at Special Olympics all over the country to see if I can get something because I know right now they're taking a hit and I do want to serve and help out with that community. And I told my mom, I'm like, I miss this community. This is my, this is my, these are my people and that I'm not getting to see them all the time because of everything that's going on. And it's tough. I'm right now, I'm teaching a leadership class for Special Olympics with my brother. And so I'm interacting on Zoom calls with individuals with all sorts of disabilities and abilities and teaching about leadership and what, what they have, like the power that they really have in their hands and how they just need to be able to figure out how to use it and push for change and push for a better future and a better world. I really feel as though this community are like, they are my people. I love them. I fit in better. I feel comfortable when I when I'm when I'm with them. It's incredible. Why? And so they I I feel not judged. I feel completely accepted. Um they genuinely have a good time. You you put on some music and they're not just like, "Oh, this is a good tune," you know, and kind of that nice polite little like, "Okay, you know, I've got work to do at home. I've got oh, I've got my taxes that are probably due in a few months here." Like, they're <laughs> not they're not somewhere else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're there. Because that's all they know how to do. They just know how to listen to that music and be present and be joyful and be present with the person that they're with. And, and these so, people go through so it. much shit on a normal yes. basis that they can still, but they can still be present. Right. And I think that's part of it. I think the other part is just, I, I'm not judged. I always felt growing up that I didn't fit in. We kind of talked a little bit about just how I didn't feel like people understood my relationship with my sister. And I didn't have a lot of social skills. I was homeschooled for a little while. That really took a toll. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I didn't socialize well with kids my age, but the people I did was with the disabled community. And so I would, oh my gosh, it sounds terrible. Hi, mom, if you're listening, I would go up to my teachers in like middle school, in high school, even in elementary school after I was homeschooled for a little bit. I would say that like, oh yeah, I have to go to the bathroom, you know, or I'd say, oh yeah, my sister's having a bad day. And I would just like skip class and I would go into their classroom and be like, yeah, I'm excused. I'm fine. And my, and their teachers would be like, you're not excused. I'm like, no, no, I'm excused. Trust me. I talk to them. Like, it's fine. Like I'd be on a bathroom break for like an hour and a half. <laughs> like, gone. Um, and, and I would be hanging just, out with your sister. Yes. And I'd be hanging out with her and her friends. Um, I remember taking my sister and I would 
I would, we would have like ramps at her school and I would run and push her and then I'd hop on her lap and we'd go down the ramp. And then before she'd hit the lockers, I'd stick my foot out. I remember, <laughs> um, convincing the principal that we needed to bond more with the disabled community at my school. And we should do that through going on a field trip, walking down to the mulch shop and back. So I got to skip like a whole day of school with my sister because we schemed this together. We're like, we don't want to be in school so we could walk to the mulch shop, get a mulch and come back. And so I got, we got to skip school all day. You know, the that mulch like, shop. I thought you said the yeah. mulch. Like, oh no, the mulch. You Minnesota people. I'm like, why do you want to go get no. mulch? You have gardening no. to do with your sister? Oh man, the mulch like shop. Got it. Got it. I'm with yeah. you. Um, <laughs> you know, so like I, I just fit in so much better there. They, you know, and that's just who I always wanted to be. And I feel when, when I'm with them, I'm not somewhere else. But when I'm sometimes with other friends, I'm like, oh man, shoot, I got to do that when I get home or I have to do this or, oh, I'm so stressed. I've got this going on. But when I'm with this community, I'm not somewhere else. And I just really enjoy that. Early on, how did your friends take that? Were they like, oh, why is she, you know, so insistent on being with them? Or were they like, oh, that's just Megan? Right. Um, so again, wasn't really chatty a ton. I had pretty much one really, really close friend growing up. I met her in seventh grade. She's my best friend still to this day. And she didn't care, not at all. And then I think when people met my sister, then they got it. If I talked about it, it was kind of this foreign discussion. They didn't really, they couldn't really imagine it. They couldn't really grasp the concept. But when they met her, there's always that hesitation because they don't know how to communicate with her. She's in a chair. Oh gosh, what do you, what do you talk about with somebody who's disabled? I don't know. It's like that teenage middle school brain that just doesn't know what to do and you kind of freeze. But then I'll like flick my hair bands at her, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'll do like all sorts of stuff. And they're like, Oh no, Jen's pretty cool, you know, and Megan's cool. And that relationship is different. And so I found that a lot is when people met her, then they understood kind of what was going on there. My sister definitely like just grabbed people. I know a lot of like moms and other people will say that about their kids. of just like, oh, they just, they loved so much and they're so kind and so amazing. Jenny had this like way of just grabbing people. She became more popular than I did. She was on pep fests. She got people to join clubs. She was well-known. She went out with the Sweethearts King, which was like all voted by the whole school <laughs> to like go to the dances. She's out until 1.30. I didn't even have a date. I couldn't go. I didn't have a date. I didn't have a date to this dance. Jenny was going out with the Sweethearts King. So my entire job was I spent four hours doing her hair and her makeup and taking pictures and getting her to like where she needed to go. She was in the popular group. I'm talking like gorgeous girls of Edina, like beautiful. <laughs> Edina is like known for that, like the beautiful, gorgeous, popular girls. She's going and out to like the dances with them and going out to dinner with them. And I just remember sitting at home being like, wow, I am so lame. <laughs> like I'm so lame. Were you ever jealous or overprotective of her friendships like that where you, I mean, I could see jealousy as a teenage girl, but then I could also see, you know, like you said, you have so many different layers and so many different hats in this. Were you super overprotective? Like if you hurt her, I will hurt you. Yes. So actually I was never necessarily jealous because I wouldn't trade my best friend for any of those girls. I, you know, I, I felt really comfortable with the group of friends that I had and who I was hanging out with. I was more incredibly protective. I remember I helped start 
with Jenny in middle school, all these unified clubs. So individuals with and without disabilities coming in and either having advisory together, doing art projects together, doing gym together, whatever that was. We started those that didn't exist before we were there. And when we went to high school, we were kind of trying to start that up as well. And then when these individuals who weren't in the middle school program, but did go to middle school, were all of a sudden joining in high school, that's when I pulled back my sophomore year. And I'm like, are they doing it for college applications? Because they have to understand that they're making lifelong impacts and lifelong friendships. And if they leave my sister in the dust, like my sister will go through a depression. Like my sister will completely fall apart. My sister is a people person. I, I just, I could not imagine trying to have that conversation with her. And so I actually pulled out of the unified clubs and it was kind of controversial in the school because they're like this girl who's been since elementary school with this disabled group all the time who helped start these unified clubs is now not being a part of it and kind of actively not speaking out, but just kind of saying like, I'm hesitant, you know, and people weren't really understanding it and didn't really want to have that conversation. And I remember uh, talking with a friend of mine and saying, you know, if this is really just for college applications, because it looks good on college applications, you were part of Special Olympics, you know, and like you helped with these unified clubs and all this stuff. They don't understand that my sister comes home and my, my sister talks about them to my family at the dinner table. Oh, you know, so-and-so is doing this and wearing this color dress for the dance. So I want to wear this color dress because it'll look really cute, you know, or just, oh, she's traveling and I'm so excited to see those pictures. I mean, she, they were, they were her world. Mm-hmm. Not that I was jealous that I all of a sudden wasn't my sister's world. I actually loved the fact that she had other friends because I had other friends and it didn't make me feel as guilty when I would go and hang out with my friends and my sister wasn't invited because she had her own you know, own friends going on. I struggled with one day her realizing that her relationship and her friendship isn't the same as the relationships and friendships that those typical individuals had with each other. You mm-hmm. know, that my sister wouldn't be able to go down and visit them at college without me or somebody else to take her. That, you know, my sister wouldn't be able to move out and be able to go out on a night on the town and go out to the bars with them. You know, that it was going to be a little bit different. But at the time, my sister was like, no, like we're friends. This is, mm-hmm. this is it. And so I did, I struggled a lot. Um, and then I kind of came back full circle a little bit. And I still to this day kind of struggle with that friendship that she had with those individuals because I do know that when she graduated, because she was a second year uh, college student when she passed away, for those that year and a half, I mean, I could count the amount of times that they saw each other on like a few fingers, you know, not even like a one hand. That's too many, like maybe once or twice that, you know, between that time and actually have a meaningful FaceTime, maybe once or twice, you know, like they just weren't around. And these are people that she saw every day for three years in high school. So yeah, definitely. I'm very, very protective. Did she ever say anything about that? Did she ever come home and say, where, why aren't my friends calling me? No, um, she, she noticed that there was, um, she noticed that there was a point where things slowed down. I remember her calling me, uh, cause I wasn't home on her birthday. Um, one year she was like, no one said happy birthday on my Facebook page. 
So she was very aware that nobody said happy birthday on her Facebook page. And I said, well, Jenny, your, your birthday is private on your Facebook page. You know, like your birthday is private. Nobody can see it. So nobody's supposed to know. Right. And so I'm sitting there texting our friends like, oh gosh, please, can you reach out to her and say happy birthday? <laughs> like she's, she thinks that nobody's thinking about her today and just, ugh. and so she noticed things like that. And I think she loved and cared about them so much. These individuals do not understand how much of an impact they had on her life. I, no matter how I describe it or how long of a letter I write telling them how much they have impacted my sister, they will have absolutely no idea. And I think that her way of almost portraying that was talking about the anxiety. I think she was afraid of that next step after she was graduating from her transition programs, what her life was going to look like. And I think she started to kind of realize that, yeah, my friends are going to graduate college. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids and they're going to go on kind of with their own life. And yeah, I might be there for the wedding. I might be there to like see their kids once or twice, but that's about as far as that will go. And I think that started to kind of settle in. My sister is incredibly intelligent, very, very perceptive. So I would have a hard time believing that didn't cross her mind at least once. But I think that she kind of replaced that with, but I had, I have friends, you know, mm-hmm. I think she was like, but I have friends. They're my friends. I text them. They text me. They're like my world. So it doesn't matter. Well, wow. that's, that's kind of, how I feel about it. Yeah. I want to change the subject just a little bit. Can you tell me since our target audience, our primary listeners are moms, mm-hmm. can you tell me about your relationship with your mom? Because I imagine they're, Again, going back to you saying you have so many hats and some days you felt like Jenny's mom. How are the dynamics in your house with so many caregivers? Yeah. Um, my relationship with my mom is really, really close. My mom and I are very close. I remember in college on those days where I'd get back from school and I would go and take care of my sister, get her to bed. Sometimes mom would be like, oh, it's just been one of the days. Let's just have a glass of wine, <laughs> hang out, you know? So it's like kind of having that mom end of the night wine. I understand without having kids. I get it. It makes sense to me completely. And so, yeah, we have a very, very close relationship. And yeah, it was almost kind of like a team at one point where she would be able to cook, you know, or help make dinner and I could help take care of Jenny with her other needs for the night. And we could be very, very efficient together, mm-hmm. but yet a lot of laughter, a lot of joy with having those types of routines. So my mom and I are very, very close, maybe to a fault. Sometimes she knows everything about me, uh, very transparent. And when it came to Jenny and caring for her or caring for my other disabled siblings, there were almost like no boundaries set because it's, we were, I was being parented by her. I was being, I was her teammate, you know, in tag teaming this whole thing. And we would also have these conversations like when I was going through high school and didn't want to be part of the unified club. So she was also kind of the one person that I could bounce that off of. So she was almost in that sense also a therapist for me as well because she could see it and she could understand a little bit more so than my friends or anybody else. And so our relationship definitely was deepened because of our roles taking care of my siblings for sure. Mm-hmm. We, I could talk to you all day. I, I have two kids, both with special needs. You make me want to go have another child um, <laughs> because you're so 
you're just so kind. And I could use an extra set of hands. Let's be real. But no. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I can only appreciate the perspective, like looking in on Diane or my friend who has a son with special needs. And I know when they had their second son, she was just so worried about the dynamic and so worried about like, who's going to take care of him in the future. And she doesn't ever want her second son to feel like it's his burden or his problem to take care of his older brother. Just talking to you, it just makes my heart smile because I can I can look at Diane's family and think her two go- girls are going to have a bond and a relationship that just keeps them together. Right. It's and, untouchable. Yeah. And from an outsider's perspective, I always think like, it's just so much to put on these people. It's so much to put on the siblings. But then I step back and I go, it's so much to put on the mom, but we do it. It's just the lives we got. Right. And right. I I think the world of you, and I met you approximately 40 minutes ago. Thank you for sharing. I, It's just such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Can I ask one more question coming from having kid, typical kids and special needs kids, were there any specific boundaries? Like speaking to, you know, not wanting to burden my other kids, did that just kind of happen naturally where your parents were very in tune to, it really looks like Megan's having a day and she does not need to take care of Jenny? Or did you ever feel like, I don't want to take care of her today. It's not my job. I just want to be a teenager. Right. Or was that talked about? Yeah, that dynamic uh, still comes up quite to this day, uh, quite a bit. Because my mom is my mom, but she's also my boss because I'm technically a PCA. So (laughs) it's like such a weird dynamic because there's definitely days where I'm like, no, like I'm going out. And she's like, well, we have all these hours. Like I have hours from this waiver and like you don't use them, you lose them. So like I need Mm -hmm. someone here, you know, and then I kind of feel a little guilty and I kind of want to help as well. And so yeah, that dynamic definitely comes up quite a bit where sometimes I'm like, oh, it is not my job. I'm 23 years old and I've never worried about myself, you know, like I'm I'm in therapy now. I'm totally an advocate for therapy. Hi, everyone who's in therapy. Um, <laughs> and I remember my therapist was like, so do you like worry about yourself? And I was like, yeah, but not but for like a split second because I have like other stuff going on. Um, yeah, you know, you get into this role where you do feel like you have responsibility. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It is a double-edged sword, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't feel like I'm burdened by my siblings, though that conversation has come up with my mom, my dad saying like, hey, I just want to let you know, we don't want to burden you. We're trying to set each of you up for success and we're going to figure out what we're going to do when this point comes. So just don't worry about it right now. That's not on you. That's on us. And so they've made that very clear, that boundary. You are not going to worry about this because that is on us. And if you were taking that on as something that you are putting, you know, you're putting that stress on yourself, that's you. We're not doing that. And so that boundary has been set where that isn't a, isn't something that I'm supposed to worry about. And so, yeah, I don't ever feel burdensome um, about my siblings at all. I am am incredibly blessed to have them in my life. They've taught me so much and I enjoy them so much. I love them. They're incredible. And there was another aspect that you had mentioned. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, Diane, you said it kind of at the beginning that you just don't want to ruin your kids. You don't want want them to have that stress. You don't want them to have that burden at all. Well, I I don't want to take out my stress and just the physical 
like when I'm just overwhelmed physically caring for this child and be like, just help me, you guys just do this. Can you please get her this? Or can you get her milk? You know, and I I often wonder, are those small things adding up to where they're like, mom, why it's not my job. She's, you know, not my child. Right. And I think for me, my parents had a really, really good balance. Now, you know, mind you, we had, yeah, three individuals with disabilities, but I grew up with a bunch of other siblings in the household. So there's always another set of hands. If I came home at one point, I was going to two colleges at the same time, I was taking 36 credits. And if I came home and I was on the verge of a meltdown, it's my family's like, all right, Megan's <laughs> like, it's having a night. She had three finals and a midterm and a paper due. So like everyone just leave. We're going to figure out this whole situation and like go, you know, go help out. And so my family really legitimately born a multitasker. Seriously. (laughs) I'm constantly moving, constantly moving. Um, And so, yeah, it was something where if I was having a bad day, my family would stand, would, you know, stand up and get the work done that needed to get done. And no one felt like a burden. I, my brother and my sister didn't feel like a burden in those situations because they're like, oh, I feel bad. No, not at all. Um, It was, it was very clear standard of like, this is how our life works and we wouldn't want it any other way. Don't feel that way. And I think the other thing too is that the balance that my mom and my dad had with, all right, yeah, our attention is on our children with disabilities to make sure that they're cared for and they receive the needs of that day. But also Megan's at a hockey game. Who's, you know, who wants to go and cheer her on making sure that like, Hey, Megan had a hockey game and she played really well. Like we're going to get ice cream afterwards, you know, or my mom was so good about like orthodontist appointments. She'd always take me to my orthodontist appointments and then we'd always get pizza afterwards. And so making sure that that one-on-one time was just built into our culture and our routines as well, because I could see how individuals with disabled children and typical children would struggle to make sure that they're giving those typical individuals the time and care that they need to also grow up and to bond with their, with their Bravo to your mom and dad. Like I, I sit here with two special needs kids and I quite frankly, don't even have the bandwidth to take care of my border collie. Never mind (laughs) another child. Like I, I don't, I am, I'm in awe and I just think Bravo to them and to your whole family. No, they're they're literally godsend. Like they're they're they were sent by God. End of story. They're incredible. Gosh, so, I hope my kids say that one day. My mom was <laughs> sent by God. They're gonna be like. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I on that it. note, on that note, we always wrap up with one question, but I'm gonna ask you two questions. Ooh, okay, right on. You get a bonus bonus round. Woohoo! The first question is. To all the moms listening, if you could give like two sentences to them as someone who has lived your life, two sentences of encouragement to these moms, what would you say? Be present. That'd be the first thing. Be present with each of your kids. Don't be, if you're with your child, your headspace needs to be with that child, regardless of ability. I would say presence and enjoy enjoy the roller coaster and it's like cheesy and as stupid as that sounds enjoy the fact that you have hard days and you have great days really lean into it because with my sister being gone I miss it I miss the hard days and the good days so really just lean into into the ride that you're on and the path that you're on for sure and now the second question 
Megan, what gives you hope? Oh my gosh. Great question. I've listened to a lot of your 4 a.m. mom clubs here, as you can tell. I haven't got I haven't prepared this answer. <laughs> um I would say my faith gives me hope a lot. I know that's going to be probably a common answer a lot of people give. I would say that what gives me hope is knowing that I'm moving forward and my siblings are moving forward. This world around them is changing. I can feel it. I know as maybe moms who are looking in on the world right now, it might still seem kind of exclusive. Our child, you know, your children might be in different classrooms or might not have typical friends, might have a different type of life. But living in it now, in the generation that's changing things, I can see a more unified world coming forward. And that's what gives me hope. I have hope that my brother will have friends of all abilities and won't be seen as the kid in the wheelchair. You know, I have hope that my world of my friends who have disabilities is making friends with everybody who are working, who are getting paid, who have proper health care, who are receiving proper care and who are actually living life instead of feeling like they're on the outside or excluded. That's what gives me hope. We're moving into a more inclusive world and I can see it and I am just so excited to get there. So, And we're moving into that world because of people like you who are so passionate about this. And quite frankly, people like you because I'm too damn tired to do it. So we right. need people like you who are young and full of Fresh. energy. Vibrant. <laughs> Getting out there. <laughs> Yeah, no, I need We're to just take a old nap. and rancid. <laughs> You're just oh, old and tired. You do the work for us, Megan. It's Thanks. So funny because I'm sitting here and I'm looking at both of you women. Like, man, these women—they're doing a podcast. They've got children with disabilities that they're taking care of. Like, they're killing it. That's so funny. Oh gosh, perspective. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't brushed my hair in about four days, so you know. <laughs> I didn't brush my teeth this morning. <laughs> I don't think I did that either. I literally am sitting here eating chocolate icing out of the container so <laughs> oh i'm so jealous so jealous. well thank you so much Aww. for being here it, it i'm so i met you now 49 minutes ago and i'm just i'm very grateful to have had the chance to talk to you there's yeah, such a thank privilege you. oh thank you so much for having me i remember like telling my mom and my friends i was like i'm going on this podcast and it's for moms so i feel really cool that i'm invited <laughs> no it is this it, the perspective was just so unique. And I think this weighs on a lot of parents' hearts because we don't know what the hell we're doing half the time. Right. And so, I mean, it, it first of all, it's just a privilege to know you and I, I'm privileged to know your mom and to have known Jenny and your whole family. Um, and you guys are very, very special people. But the confidence I think that you can give our listeners that like you're there are these kids you guys are really special kids the siblings of special needs children don't get enough credit you're unique and you're so special and so thank you for sharing um yourself with us i really appreciate it yes thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it i want i feel like all of the people that you bring on i'm like i want to be best friends with them but i know i feel like i could be best friends with her too i also feel like she has a wealth of energy that I could tap into because I am just so tired. And that that girl, she's going places and she's helping yeah. the community 
every step of her way. Absolutely. She just has this such a unique perspective with an you know insider perspective. Like, I don't get to see my kids in school. And it's just so cool to have a youthful sense um, and just connection with her doesn't, peers. Doesn't it make you feel comfortable thinking about your girls? It does. It totally does. I mean, I seriously think she's a unicorn, but at the same time, I don't think that we understand and I don't think we're ever really going to understand. So it does give me a lot of hope and I just hope so much that they have a relationship. I think it's like people look at us and go, Susan's really got this. Like Susan is such, she is meant for this role as a parent. And I'm now talking about myself, like I'm the unicorn, but you do what you do when you need to do it. And she's a great example of that. She is perfect for our podcast because she's so hope-filled and I'm Mm -hmm. so glad we had her. Me too. Thank you, Megan. It was such a pleasure. I'm going to make a quick side note here before we wrap this up. You guys, if you have not heard about the When Autumn Comes Society, look us up on Facebook. We are a group of moms, dads, caregivers, aunts, uncles, I don't know, nurses, anybody, anybody can join. We are not super picky about who joins. Everybody's welcome. We talk about life in our crazy upside down lives. We talk about, I don't know, today there was a hot debate about candy corn, like hot debate. Um, So join us, check us out, Um, go to, you know, the book of faces and search when autumn comes society. You can also find us on I don't know, all the other platforms. If you're questioning why is she talking about the Win Autumn Come Society and not the 4AM Mom Club, it's because sadly the 4AM Mom Club, the actual community, I think we're going to have to shut it down or close it up or I I don't have a polite word for that. We're going to have to like take away the welcome mat for a little bit and see what happens. We are merging though with the Win Autumn Come Society, so we'll see you there. This is Susan, and I am going to go eat some pizza. And this is Diane, and I once again, I have to go get Sayla off the bus. You're always getting that kid off the bus. I'm so glad she's back in school. Me too. And I have limited time, which is why we do the podcast at this time in the morning. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Bye. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.